your vehicle to the past doesn't need roads or even 1.21 gigawatts. It's the Retro Network Time Machine with Jason and Mickey! Welcome back inside the TRN Time Machine, sponsored by Retro Days. And I did read this week, Mick, that they've got a new episode coming up on the GoBots. Very excited. I'm not sure when that will drop, but I saw Adam dropping hints over there on Twitter. So I was like, oh, yes, because I know we both love the GoBots. Yes. So interested to see how they portray them <laughs> on uh, on an episode of RD's Detention. But go over to YouTube. Check out uh, RD's Detention on the Retro Days channel, man. We've been uh, telling you for a long time, and it's we'll keep telling you for a long time because it's so much fun. So go do that this week. Uh, but going back a decade prior to the GoBots, we're going back to the 70s and we're doing our flick chart profiles this week. And just for anybody who hasn't listened to our previous flick chart episodes, these lists are sort of our top 10. It depends on what movies come up in flick chart. And they basically will battle out two movies and you choose one over the other. So it's, it's more of a randomized system. And... You know, sometimes some of the larger movies won't pop up for you, and you're like, why is this not on my list? Well, that's why. <laughs> it just hasn't popped up for you as you're ranking movies uh, over there on Flickchart. But it's a fun game, and it's one that, again, I, I don't remember uh, our lists from previous times, but it didn't seem like there was a lot of repetition there. So No, and I was thinking to myself, uh, looking at my list, I'm going to say we will have no more than well, I don't want to say no more than four. I'm thinking around four will be okay. the amount of crossover we have. Okay. Well, uh, since this era is kind of before our like theater experience, you know, I, we were both born in the what mid to late seventies. I was born mm-hmm. in seventy six, and you're seventy seven. Seventy eight. Seventy eight. So obviously, watching uh, movies from the seventies, we would have to either catch it on cable or purposely gone back to watch these films that were kind of before our time. So have you gone through like a phase where, let me just check out some movies in the seventies. Uh, there are the first movie I'll talk about purposely sought it out. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually two of them I purposely sought out on this list and the rest of them, I'm sorry, three of my purposely saw. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, yes, to answer your question, yes, I have sought some movies out. Some of these movies I just came across, and mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's another one I purposely saw. Anyway, <laughs> how about So it that? sounds like it's about 50-50 then of some that you just maybe caught on TV or happened to see on home video versus uh, purposely, hey, I, I, I've heard a lot about this movie. I need to go watch it. Yeah, uh, and then you... The, the good thing about that is then they show up on this list of some of your favorite movies from that era. You know, you purposely sought them out and it lived up to the hype. So yeah, it's a good thing. Okay. Well, let's get into it, man. Uh, if you're okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and go first this time. Yeah. Um, number 10 on my top 10 of the seventies list, the man with the golden gun. Oh, and, James uh, Bond films. yes. I, of course I'm a huge James Bond fan. And there's another one actually on this list, but, uh, the man with the golden gun, uh, Christopher Lee, 
love his character, Scaramanga. And they've got uh, the little guy from Fantasy Island is in it too, you know. It's just a fun movie. Uh, they have a flying car, you know. You get the uh, the first appearance. I think this is the first appearance of uh, the uh, Louisiana. What's his name now? Gosh, I almost went to Buford T. Justice, but... Um... <laughs> The uh, James Bond version of that. I can't remember his name in the movie, but you get a little bit of that. There's just so much about uh, that movie that I love. It's one of my favorites of the Roger Moore era, but not the favorite, as we'll get to that. But uh, love The Man with the Golden Gun. Have you seen the James Bond movies, Mick? No, I'm not a James Bond fan, but it's not that I've got anything against them. I've just never watched them. Okay. Well, it's fun that the, the whole premise of the movie is he is like the highest paid hitman, a million dollars a bullet, and he never misses, you know. Mm. So uh, it's a good duel between him and the man with the golden gun, played by Christopher Lee. And they go to this like exotic location, and he's got this whole like obstacle course almost set up to test. He brings in like hitmen. And eventually James Bond, you know, to uh, to test them out. And then they have this big, you know, battle. Uh, anyway, love it in the James Bond uh, universe. Well, in the James Bond universe, uh, are the movies, you don't need to watch them in order, do you? No, no. So I could just jump in with Man with the Golden Gun. Right. Yeah. Gosh, he's he he goes through like several different women throughout each movie, and oh, there's yeah. no continuing, you know, there's no continuing really plot or storyline. I can't uh, remember. I've watched one. It had Jaws in it, and it wasn't the one on the moon. Whichever one he was in, that he wasn't on the moon. That was the spy who loved me. Yes, uh, he was in those those two. I think just those two. Anyway, so the spy who loved me, where how high up the list does that rank on good Bond movies? So I know, you know, uh, <laughs> if of, the rest yeah. are better or worse. Or of the of the Roger Moore era, it's it could be my favorite. It's it's close up there. It's it's one really? of the one of his best ones, I would say. Because I wasn't um, impressed with it. That that scares me though. <laughs> I mean, really. Well, you know, the Roger Moore era is the campy. It wasn't really the action that was driving that. It was James Bond's style. You know, he's he's yeah. the uh, you know adjust your tie James Bond kind of st- you know. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll watch some more of them before I. Cause I've not yeah. watched any of the uh, Pierce Brosnan or the Daniel Craig. I've not watched any Man. of the Sean Connerys. Or, I'm not well. I've not watched any of them. That one's the only one I've watched. So. Really, really yeah. interesting. Okay. Well, that made my uh, top 10. What was uh, your number 10? Well, my number 10 was one that I searched out because being big into World War II history from 1977, a bridge too far. Mm-hmm. The uh, great cast with Richard Attenborough, James Conn, Michael Caine, Sean Connery, uh, too many people to name here, James Coburn, and many, many, many more people you know and recognize mm-hmm. where... Uh, General Bernard Montgomery's far-reaching plan to move into Germany in one fell swoop, taking all the bridges between there and Holland, and they went tried to go one bridge too far. So the name of the movie, and they were shorthanded, and every disaster that could happen to them did happen to them. And it's mm-hmm. rare you see a, a war movie or a World War II movie featuring on something where we didn't prevail in the end, but this 
is that one movie where we don't prevail in the end. So uh, if people have not seen it, it, it's a pretty good action movie. The acting is good. Like I said, it's got a huge cast. The effects were great for the time as far as they had big scenes in scope with all the planes taking off, pulling the gliders and uh, the bombardments and stuff. But it, it's if you're into old action or old war movies, if you've not seen it, this is one you need to track down. Well, I'll be tracking it down then. It's long. I have not seen. <laughs> it's long. It's three hours plus. Wow. But it's... Well, it sounds like the the cast will kind of carry it though. If it you've does. got a great cast, it does. and it, the way yeah. they done the cast, you have all these different facets of this battle for the bridge in Arnhem. Different groups trying to get there for the battle, and they're all led by one of these famous actors, and they're on the radio with each other, and it's it's really good. Cool. Okay, number nine for me. I'm guessing is going to be higher for you. <laughs> 1977, Smokey and the Bandit is my number nine. Gosh, what can you say? You know, Burt Reynolds, Jerry Reed, Sally Field, and... CB radios. Right, yeah. Big rigs, southern culture, cowboy hats, cowboy boots, shirts unbuttoned to your belly, showing all your hamburger meat on your chest. It just... Yeah. For me, uh, it's Jackie Gleason that makes that movie, though. Yeah. You know, just the chase... Gosh, can't say enough about him. But yeah, that was just it's a it's such a wonderful glimpse of that trucker and that whatever you want to call it era and the way things worked back then. And it's the chase, you know. The whole chase is uh just kind of keeps you moving through the movie and every little twist and turn and you know, hiding behind the you know, getting the, the tractor trailers to help them along the way and it's just such a fun movie. I'll let you uh, talk about it a little bit later, I'm assuming. <laughs> well, my number nine movie comes from 1972, and the 70s were known for their disaster movies mm-hmm. and the Poseidon Adventure with Gene Hackman oh, yeah. and some other good people. That one I first seen on TBS, just off by myself, you know, one day mm-hmm. on and kind of picked up started watching it and really got into it. And I remember talking to my mom about it after, and she was like, Oh, I love that movie. And it seemed like every time we'd see it in the TV guide coming on after that, we'd watch it together. Right. I've probably watched that movie 20 times. <laughs> um, the, the, the ship is hit by, there's an earthquake and there's a tsunami and the ship gets caught in it and gets capsized. And the people have to fight their way up from, what would be the top of the ship that's now upside down to the bottom of the ship to have a chance to possibly be rescued. So mm-hmm. really good disaster movie. It is. I've enjoyed that one. I remember probably about the time that Titanic came out, I went back and I don't know if they were showing it on purpose, you know, to kind of coincide with the Titanic being so popular and in theaters and stuff. But I remember kind of rediscovering it at that point. Mm-hmm. And I do remember, like you said, it being on cable, uh, more or less. I don't know if I've ever just sat down and watched the theatrical version. It's always been on you know, cable. So, and it's been a while since I've watched it, but that's well, the time I ordered, going back and, and rediscovering it. I ordered the theatrical version on DVD several years ago from Amazon. Oh, cool. Did you ever see the sequel? Uh, I don't Beyond think so. Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. I don't think so. 
I've not watched it either. It, the premise is interesting where all the survivors are headed to court. I'm guessing like for a lawsuit or something mm-hmm. going to testify and they're all on a train. And when it goes through a tunnel in the mountain, the tunnel collapses. So, <laughs> wow. Talk about uh, your bad luck. Yeah. I mean, but it's the movie's kind of panned as not being very good, but because I like the, the first one so much, I want to check it out. Did the cast come back? Uh, one or two of them did, but not the main people. Okay. Cool. Okay. Um, speaking of, this is perfect. Nice segue. Speaking of disaster movies, my number eight is Earthquake. Oh. From 1974. Charlton Heston, Richard Roundtree, I believe. Um, what's his name? Naked Gun. Uh, not, not, not Leslie Nielsen. Oh, uh, George. Is, uh, yeah, uh, Kennedy. Kennedy. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he's in that as well. And it was one I just connected with again. It was on cable and I love Charlton Heston as an actor and that whole, I think that movie was pretty much that, um, what got me into disaster movies kind of moving forward. Like I had that one under my belt. So when another disaster movie came out like volcano and Dante's peak, I was interested, instantly interested in those type of movies. And I remember, oh gosh. I wish they still had the ride, but when we went to Universal Studios, this was uh, in the year 2000, gosh, 20 years ago, and was on that ride, I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. You, know, you get down in there, you're in this uh, like subway car, and then the stuff hits the fan, and there's water rushing, there's the earthquake, and you're kind of mm-hmm. going through the whole experience, uh, obviously not living in Southern California, to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, based on the just the the premise of the movie and stuff, and and I remember they, I think it was about the time they got rid of ET and Back to the Future. They got rid of uh, Earthquake. They pulled the Jaws ride and all that stuff <laughs> at uh, Universal Studios. But yeah, it, it was I think mainly Charlton Heston that attracted me to watching the movie because I liked him as an actor, and it's it's a great movie. I I think I've got a VHS copy somewhere that I kept for years and would pop in every once in a while. So that's my number eight. Well, before I get to my number eight, mm-hmm. I don't know where I got the info about beyond the Poseidon adventure because I just pulled it up and it says an extension of the previous film where a cache of adventurers returned to the overturned ship to seek several fortunes. Hmm. Nothing about them traveling, whatever. And the cast I'm definitely going to have to check this out now because the cast <laughs> is Michael Caine, Sally Field, Telly Savalas, Peter Boyle, Shirley Jones, Mark Harmon is in it. Slim oh, wow. is in it. So yeah, that sounds I like a, that sounds like a drive-in right there, man. It does. <laughs> no, it sounds like I might be streaming this off Amazon at some point. Very, yeah. very soon. So, but anyway, my number eight pick, speaking of all these great actors, stars Paul Newman from 1977, the first sports movie on my list, and that's Slapshot. Have mm-hmm. you ever seen Slapshot? I have. Yeah, that's a fun movie where uh, the struggling minor league team, the owner's going to sell it, and these guys are all going to be out of a job, and Paul Newman concocts this plan to spread all these rumors about they might be <laughs> selling this and that and getting the team fired up and playing better so they can get sold and go somewhere warm and yeah, uh, we talked about it last week on the sporting events. Some of the games they play when they just become a a goon squad team where it's just all about the fighting and intimidating yeah. the 
opponents. And but it's, it's a fun movie. It's essentially Major League before Major League, you know, in yeah, hockey. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Hanson yeah. Brothers. There's a Funko Pop set for you. <laughs> Good call on that. Yeah. yeah. I had back in the early 2000s when McFarland Toys was really getting going, they put out a, a Slapshot Hanson Brothers, three really? individual really? figures. And when you bought all three, you know, those early um, McFarland figures had all these really nice accessories. Each one of them was on a chunk of ice with the wall behind it. Mm-hmm. And when you had all three, it all three went together. Oh, so, cool. Cool. And I had to, I don't know what I've done with them, but I took them out of the packages. I had them up on display in the first house I lived in after we were married and had them up prominently <laughs> displayed. The Hanson <laughs> brothers. I mean, they were men after my own heart. They were out there. They didn't care what they said, what they did. They wore glasses. They raced lot cars in the hotel rooms on trips. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah, good guys. Uh, it's been a while, man. I need to rewatch that one too. I actually have the paperback book from that movie. I need. To oh, get really? It. Like who, the novelization? Yeah. Yeah. Who is it? Paxton Holly. Yeah. I need to see if he's done that. If not, I might have to send him a copy. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be a fun one to go through and see if there's some differences in there. Cool. Well, that's good for a number eight. Number seven for me. I watched probably for the first time would have been early nineties and at uh, our youth group of all places at our church, um, Monty Python and the Holy grail, <laughs> 1975. Uh, that was, yeah, you know, essentially my introduction to Monty Python and our, so the two movies we would always watch, it seemed like, was was this one and the movie Strange Brew. Have you ever seen that? Rick Moranis and uh, Doug, uh, well, yeah. Bob and Doug McKenzie. But the McKenzie brothers, yeah. I have seen Dave, that. Dave Thomas. Dave Thomas is the other actor. But uh, we seem to gravitate towards those two. Don't ask me why, but <laughs> just strange, you know, for... Uh, we would do like lock-ins and and you know stay up all night and we'd watch like Monty Python and uh, just laugh and you know it's such a fun movie it's it's hard to uh, I don't know it's a little hard to translate the humor in, like if I was gonna invite my oldest to watch it with me you know yeah but there's still some great gags in there and uh, you know the the rabbit the the black knight and <laughs> just. It's so full of stuff to just put on and laugh, you know. Gosh, it's so great. I, I bought it. I just recently got it on video for the first time. I, I bought the DVD at a thrift store for $1, and it was like the 30th anniversary or whatever anniversary version of it. And uh, I still have yet to fire it up, and I'm going to have to fire it up here soon. Well, that actually so. appears on my unseen list. Really? Yeah. I haven't seen that one. Okay. Yeah. And speaking of Bob and Doug McKenzie, that was another McFarland toy set I had. Really? You had both figures. It made their whole set from the Great White North TV show. <laughs> Even the big flag behind them. It had the oh, couch. great. And the figures were posed sitting down, so they'd both sit on the couch uh-huh. with the coffee table in front of them. And they, both of them came with like 20 little plastic beer bottles <laughs> that you could litter all around the set. <laughs> I had those on display forever, too. Oh, that's great. You might want to look those up on eBay and see if you can find those still in package so you could, you know, have <laughs> all the pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I'd be, 
I can see my wife walking in on me, you know, setting it all up and me going, go, 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 go. And <laughs> she'd be like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Just call her a hoser and go on. Yeah. Take off, hoser. A. Uh, <laughs> Canadians mouse, are a-holes. Mouse in my beer, eh? <laughs> um, all right. Number seven for you. The Godfather Part 2, 1974 which I won't say a whole lot about because I'll be talking about the first one later. But for a lot of fans of The Godfather, they'll put number two higher than number one. I'm just the opposite. But Mm -hmm. Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, even though they don't interact in the film, both of them turn in great, I mean, legendary performance, especially De Niro playing the young uh, Vito Corleone. So, uh, But that's my number seven. I'll agree with that. Did not make my... Top 10, I'm trying to scan through here and see if part two made my top 20. It might not have come up on my list, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm, I kind of lean towards the first, kind of go in order, you know, <laughs> well, now, as far as favorites go. I will say this. I think it was Bravo about 10 years ago done a special version it was the godfather in chronological order and they had the blessings of the creators and stuff to take all the movies chop them apart and put every scene in chronological order really that was fantastic so the movie starts with the robert de niro character from godfather 2 and then rolls into scenes from godfather 1 you know it put everything in Uh order instead of all the flashbacks that is such an epic way to watch that movie it's it's unbelievably good that way I've never heard of them doing that. That that does sound pretty great. It's always, yeah. I mean, anytime you break out the Godfather, it's you get to. Well, you, I can I can make it through part three, but <laughs> you've got to break them all out. You know, it's it's almost like a marathon. If you're going to commit to the Godfather, you got to watch the the whole series. You know, right? But that's good. Uh, number six for me, uh, nineteen seventy one. Trying to remember the first time I watched this. It was probably on cable. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Another one I've never watched. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we've breaking it out uh over the years and I've uh, introduced the kids to it. Did not really care for the the Johnny Depp, you know, remake. And I think they saw that actually at school. I think it was my oldest. Before he saw the original, I'm like, no, you've got to go back. We've got to watch this. And I remember sitting him through and, and watching the original uh, Willy Wonka. And uh, it's just fun. It's just a fun adventure. And Gene Wilder, what you know, what can you say about Gene Wilder? Uh, he's just great. And um, they've made memes out of the movie. Okay, what what more do you want? You know, uh, just a fun story. And one that, like I said, we will pop it in every once in a while just to watch it. Great movie. So I guess you, if you haven't seen that, uh, we'll go on to your number six. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going back for another disaster movie from uh-huh. 1974, the towering Inferno. Okay. Uh, with Steve McQueen and Paul Newman. This was one that after I had watched the Poseidon adventure and liked it, my mom told me about the towering Inferno and somehow we, Back then, without the internet stuff, we found a copy and watched it, and I instantly loved it. The big new skyscraper right. catching on fire and burning, and Steve McQueen and is the fire chief. Paul Newman's trying to get everybody out, and 
got a lot of cameos like those disaster movies did. You got Bobby Brady is in it and several other people. But recently, The Rock done the movie Skyscraper. It mm-hmm. was loosely inspired by the Towering Inferno. I wish they would have done more of a, you know, Towering Inferno remake, but that's what we got instead. I can't it's remember like, if I've ever watched the Towering Inferno. It's my favorite of all the disaster movies. And it? it may be influenced because my dad was a fireman and you get a lot of the fire aspect of the, the fire spreading from floor to floor to floor and everybody moving higher and higher up in the building and how can they get them down or get them out and how are they going to put this thing out and could it burn the whole city down? And yeah, so it uh, it's really, and Steve McQueen is great as the fire chief, you know, right in the middle of the disaster, Paul Newman's the architect, but Steve McQueen keeps needling him, you know, Mm-hmm. we keep telling you we can't fight fires over 10 floors and you architects just keep building them higher and higher and higher. And Paul Newman's like, can we just worry about putting this one out right now? <laughs> <laughs> Save the lecture for later. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, I, I need to, I need just to do a marathon of old disaster movies. You're getting me uh, excited to do something like that, man, coming up. <laughs> Cause yeah, I don't, I have not connected with the towering inferno like uh, some of the other ones. Uh, number five, we're gonna make it to our top five. Number five for me, nineteen seventy-five. Roy Schneider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus in Jaws. Oh, I have seen Jaws many, many times. I think uh, I don't know. It seemed like it was on continuous rotation on TBS or TNT <laughs> every weekend. It was you'd flip to it, and every time I flip to it, and wherever they are in the movie, I'm like stuck there, you know. And just such a great movie. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little silly going back now and looking at the shots of the shark and stuff. But I'm sure at the time it was, uh, it's it's almost more not seeing the shark is the better parts of the movie now that yeah. lead in anticipation and your your mind just running wild on uh, I gotta get out of the water and the scene where Robert Shaw gets eaten is still. Uh, just crazy, crazy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that one. It, it, for for years, I'd be like, I'd flip it over to something else while that was going on and come back. Cause now, he was the old so dude, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, there is a great episode of the Rewatchables podcast that they do on Jaws. Mm-hmm. And you learn an awful lot of information. But that old dude, was just as cranky in real life as he was on in the movie. That makes sense. Like, he wasn't playing a part. That was just him playing uh-huh. him and about how he would get drunk and start fights with people on the set. And yeah, it's pretty interesting listening to all that. But mm-hmm. Jaws didn't make my list. Uh, it's not as good as Jaws 3D by far. I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've gone through and watched the sequels, you know, once or twice, but it's always been about the original one for me. So Yeah, me too. And I showed it uh, last summer. I introduced my oldest to it because, you know, she's a horror movie fan. My youngest is not. This is not really what I would call a horror movie. But, you know, I knew she'd like it. Right. She did. And then I showed her Jaws 3D and she played on her phone the whole time. <laughs> Sounds right. <laughs> Of course, we streamed it somewhere. Maybe it was on Amazon or Netflix. 
And they didn't, they left the 3D parts intact in the movie, but there's no 3D glasses here to watch it with. So weird. Okay. You get these weird shots of the shark swimming at you and it looks all cartoony and stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's, again, that's a ride that I, it was my favorite when we were at uh, Universal Studios because we got this little squirrely guy that was our tour guide. And each time the shark would like come out of the water, he would hang on to the uh, side of the boat and scream like a little girl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it just made the going on that ride so much more fun. And I, I've got a picture of me somewhere where they had that huge Jaws shark right outside of the ride that you could, you know, reach up and get your picture with. Yeah. There's one of those somewhere of me. Uh, so, yeah, I love Jaws. What's your number five? Well, you mentioned earlier Smokey and the Bandit. And when you talk about car chase movies, it is great. Uh, Gone in 60 Seconds, both the old and the new is a good, a good car mm-hmm. movie. But the very best car chase movie ever was Vanishing Point from 1971. Uh, starring Barry Newman and Clevin Little. You've probably not seen this one. Would be I don't my think guess. I have, no. This is one my dad loved way back when and when we were early in the VCR days, he purposely sought it out at a video store and I instantly fell in love with it. But it's a story of uh, a guy named Kowalski who is a driver. He delivers cars, you know, from car lot to car lot or whatever, or high end cars that people buy. He'll transport them to them. And he finishes a run and gets ready to make another run. And the guy's like, Hey, you need to, you know, take a break. He's like, nah. And he's like, ah, this car has got to be there from, has to be from Denver to LA or San Francisco in a short amount of time. And they make a bet that he can't do it. And he stops and gets some speed. And this entire movie after it takes about two to three minutes to set the movie up. And then from that point on, it's a car chase movie the entire time. (laughs) And, um, but through the course of the movie, he's, there's some flashbacks. He's thinking back on his life where he's failed, done this and done that. And, uh, he finally comes to the point that he's just don't care anymore. I don't want to spoil the ending to the movie because it's one of the better endings in movies, but uh, there's so many car chases and running from the law and helicopters and he hides in the desert and meets an old snake handler. And, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just good. such a good movie. They made a remake of it in 1997 with Vigo Mortensen, which was not released here in America. It was a European done or just released over there. But I was able to download a copy of it. And when you buy it on or try to buy it on Amazon or something, it's things like 90 bucks a copy. (laughs) The Vigo Mortensen edition. It's the same kind of story told in a different fashion where he's a driver, but his wife is expecting a baby and they're having complications and he's trying to get there Mm -hmm. and the law is chasing, but he's not stopping. You know, he's going to be with his wife and baby. And that whole movie is a car chase movie too, traveling across the country. But yeah, if you like car chase, if anybody listening likes car chase movies, like I mentioned, you need to search out vanishing point. It streams every so often on different services. Okay. Yeah. I have to seek that one out. I've, Digging into car chase, I have a copy of Bullet with Steve McQueen. I don't know if that was 70s or maybe late 60s. That was 70s. Was it? Um, And that's pretty much a, you know, a car chase movie through the streets of San Francisco. (laughs) Yeah, but if you Um, watch it, they keep recycling the footage. 
Yeah, it's but like still, two man. minutes of footage that they repeat <laughs> nine times to give you an eighteen-minute car chase scene. Because um, there's that yeah. one part of the scene where the hubcap flies off the chase, the car that's chasing him, or the car he's chasing, and you uh-huh. see that same hubcap fly off four to five times in that <laughs> sequence. So, uh, vanishing point. He's driving a Dodge Challenger. Okay, uh, like a nineteen seventy Dodge Challenger. It's souped up and to the gills. Cool. Oh, okay. whole, I, I got to mention too, the whole time there's a, you might want to be slightly altered in the mind before you watch this movie because it'll <laughs> make more sense. But the, uh, there's a radio DJ who's keeping up with the car chase on police scanners and he's relaying information to him through the radio, <laughs> through his show, but he's being cryptic about it. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, they're circling, you know, when he's in the desert, they're circling with helicopters waiting on him to come back out on the road and this, uh, DJ who hosts, you know, like uh, Kowalski, if you're listening, be careful if you come up for air. They're waiting to cut off your supply, you know. And he, he deduced <laughs> is listening to it that they're waiting on him and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. cool. All right, uh, number four for me, going back to James Bond in 1979, Moonraker. Mm. So this one has, uh, it, and you know, I've mentioned before that. One of the first items I bought off eBay was the set of Moonraker trading cards and stickers, which I still have. Um, I don't know. It was just something about James Bond in space, you know, that was really cool. And it's, well, it's probably my favorite uh, Roger Moore movie. And you've got Jaws in it. So it's, it's fun because, like, at the beginning of the movie, Drax, who is the main bad guy, He's got this uh, martial arts assassin that's after him, you know, and James Bond takes care of him. And then he's like, no, we, we better get in somebody better. And then they bring in Jaws, you know, <laughs> and the- now, which come first, Moonraker or Golden or uh, Spy Who Loved Me? Uh, Moonraker would have been first. Spy Who Loved Me, I think, was early 80s, like maybe 81 or 82. OK, so Jaws, I- this is the first appearance of Jaws. Uh I think, well, now that you mention it, I'm not sure. It might be the other way around now because I don't think this, I think this was the second appearance of Jaws. Um, I got to look it up now. Spy. Yeah, I was looking it up too. Moonraker came out in 79. Spy, I'm sorry. Yeah. So Spy You Love Me was 1977. So it was two years earlier. So it might have not just come up on my flick chart to rank it, but, um, yeah, this was the I'm this is the second appearance of Jaws. So this was at the the peak of his popularity and there's a great scene where they're I think they're in Rio and they're on this like skylift uh that goes up like a cable, you know, skylift mm-hmm. and Jaws like bites it with his <laughs> he like bites the cord with his teeth and it's great. He did, there's a couple scenes where he just you think he's dead and he gets back up kind of dusts himself off as he does and keeps on moving, you know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, just the whole, uh, and Jaws even finds love in Moonraker. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's a nice little heartfelt scene in when they're on the spaceship and he actually kind of turns a corner and helps, uh, bond, but, uh, it's, it's a, you know, it's pure Roger Moore campy bond, but I love it. It's, you know, was one of my first introductions to James Bond. So, 
That's my number four. Well, my number four, people will probably say it's blasphemy being this low, but it's Star Wars, 1977. Okay. And it's one I sought out. Actually, no, I didn't really seek it out. I'd heard about it. I had seen Return of the Jedi. <laughs> but uh, I, sometime in the very early 90s, maybe actually 1990, 91, USA ran a three-night those three movies back to back to mm-hmm. back. And I made a point to watch all three of them because I really liked return of the Jedi. But you know, a lot of people need to remember listening now thinking, well, how could you watch that before that one? The days of ECRs and what was available at your local rental store, depending on what you could see or not see because right. star Wars and stuff was not on television in 1985 and 86 when return of the Jedi was the NBC Sunday night movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you just had to miss some of these movies until technology come along enough that you could go back and watch that's it. Right. And that's how no, it was that's for right. me. It wasn't available for me to watch. So yeah, Star Wars, of course, everybody I'm sure listening to this podcast knows what Star Wars is. And still, I think the story of this original Star Wars, the story of the movie may be the best. Going to save the captured princess, you know, storming mm-hmm. the keep, type, you know, classic storytelling tropes yeah. there, but yeah, it it still holds up. It's still my favorite Star Wars movie. Yeah, probably like I don't know, seventy five percent of Star Wars fans will put Empire Strikes Back as their number one. Yeah, but I like I like the original at my number one position because it, it's what started it all for me. And it's just a and, fun adventure as a self contained movie without the the weight of of uh, continuity and other movies. Just self contained. It's such a good story. Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that it was <laughs> really the the middle of an entire saga that George Lucas had planned is crazy to think about when this came out, you know, that mm-hmm. he had there was stuff before and stuff after that he had <laughs> thought about. But um yeah, I, I'm I'm okay with that. I'm I'm cool with that because yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll save it for a little bit uh when it comes up on my list here. Um but yeah, personal preference there. If you saw Return of the Jedi first, then I can understand it uh, not being a number one movie on a 70s list. Yeah. Okay, uh, number three. Top three. We've made it. Number three for me, one of my earliest introduction to superheroes. And I was I, probably the 66 Batman show was one of the earliest or maybe the earliest ones that got my wheels turning about superheroes and probably uh, some of the cartoon shows on Saturday mornings and, you know, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Um, see, even uh, Batman when he was on Scooby-Doo <laughs> uh, <laughs> was uh, influential, but the original Superman from 1979, I believe 78 really impacted me about the just superheroes in general and uh probably uh superman 2 stuck with me more just for the fact that he got rid of his powers in that one and there's that whole scene i I would have dreams and and play out that whole scene in superman 2 when he's in the diner and they're kicking the crap out of him you know (laughs) and and thinking like what why, why, why would you get rid of those powers and not understanding why he did it and, you know, to be with Lois and everything. But, um, the original one was great too. And, uh, I, I even love Ned Beatty in the thing, you know, (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but Gene Hackman, you know, oh gosh, I love Gene Hackman. And he's definitely Lex Luthor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just to me. my Lex Luthor too. Yeah. It's just a great superhero movie. And and I just, I can't say enough about how it impacted me and have brought me to, you know, this point of loving the superhero movies, you know? Well, I've never watched the original. I've seen two, three, and four. I own the original in a DVD box set. But comic book fans who are in the know will say that the Richard Donner cut of that film Mm -hmm. is superior to just the regular version of number Mm -hmm. one. So I don't know if you've ever seen that or not, but I don't, and I, I don't have that. uh, I've, I've had it in my Amazon wish list for a long time, like getting the whole series of movies. Uh, I had it on VHS at one point, but I don't, it wasn't the director's cut. So I'm not sure if I've ever seen the, the director's cut. Well, that's the one, you know, apparently there was stuff from the movie studios forcing this and that and make these right. changes, make those changes. And that his cut, they everybody just who's watched it and watched both of them says it is far superior to what we actually got. Yeah. But it's out there. I mean, I don't, you may even be able to order it. Like it may be for yeah. sale on Amazon or something, but. Yeah, hmm. I think they do have, I think they do have a, you know, a separate release with the director's cut on there uh, that I've seen. So it'll have to be one that I'll have to seek out and and watch um just to see if i because i like i said i don't remember like sitting down and watching the director's cut and i don't know think they've had it on tv or they might have had it on streaming at one point on netflix or amazon or someplace where it was the director's cut and i've watched it but i'll have to research and see what the differences are and stuff and remember if i've watched it well my number three is the godfather from 1972 from uh, for whatever reason, I've always loved mobster, gangster, mafia movies. So this was one mm-hmm. that I searched out because obviously I wasn't around to watch it originally. Such a great job from everybody in it. Robert Duvall, who I love in everything. Marlon Brando, all these different guys. James Caan, and of course Al Pacino. Just the quintessential tale of original La Cosa Nostra from back in the forties and fifties. What can you say about one of the best? This really is one of the best movies, best films as uh, Martin Scorsese is always talking about these days ever made. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just a fantastic look back at that era and how powerful a mafia Don could be. Yeah. It's my number two actually on my list. Oh, and good. We'll just flow right into that too. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, I don't know kind of put it in perspective and only take five minutes to talk about just because it's so epic and, you know, started that whole journey. But yeah, that it's just the, the actors at the peak of their time, you know, it it seemed like, and that whole world that just sucked you in and, you know, made movies like Goodfellas probably as as popular as they were when they came out. Because they had that that Godfather um, world or uh, the popularity that just kind of encompassed that genre of a movie. So, yeah, can't say nothing but good about it. And for me, like you said before, it's it's the best of the series, and I would put that ahead of even Godfather too. But mm-hmm. great movie, just great movie. Well, you know, there, the Godfather and Godfather Two are, are two different movies 
it's not like your traditional sequel, you know, picking up where the story left off. That right. Yeah. Folks who haven't seen it, the Godfather tells a for then like a I'm gonna call it a modern tale. You know, it it's a story. But then Godfather Two, you get all the flashbacks with how Vito Corleone came to America and, and built his mafia empire, mm-hmm. uh, played by Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. So it's two different movies. Yeah, and just the you know the transition over to Al Pacino and Michael and getting some of his world, I guess more or less in uh, the you know part two. But um, gosh, it's uh, just the first one was again. It's just that that basis for all these mobster movies going forward. It seemed like, yeah. So that's why it was so high on my list as well. When you're comparing it to something else. And again, like I said, if you're going to watch it, you got to watch the whole saga. I can't just watch one, you know? Yeah. Uh, all right. So what's your number two, since I revealed my number two, uh, shaft in Africa with Richard Roundtree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm oh, kidding. Gosh. <laughs> my number two movie, 1976, the one that started the whole franchise, Rocky. It was winner of Beck's picture. Uh, just fantastic from beginning to end. A lot of people have not seen, I didn't realize this, but a lot of people have not seen Rocky. You know, they're big Rocky fans. They've seen all the rest. But if you're listening and you're one of those folks, what? <laughs> Rocky is a different movie than your the rest of the Rocky series. You know, yeah, yeah. Rocky 3, Rocky 4, right? you know, all the the big uh, going to Russia to fight. No, that's not what this movie is. Rocky is the, they call him down on his luck. He ain't down on his luck. He's got a job. He's working for a loan shark. He's beating people up, collecting money, but he amateur boxes at night at clubs and he gets a shot. Apollo Creed is coming. He's going to give some no name a shot and uh, just so happens to be Rocky Balboa. And the rest is history. A whole movie franchise was launched off that premise. You know, the fight scene is great, but it's everything that leads up to that. The the soul searching by Rocky and Rocky being the, the bum from the streets and nobody giving him a shot. And he don't have uh, the best training equipment or anything. So you get, you know, what he's got, punching the sides of beef, chasing the chicken <laughs> right, and yeah. running through the streets. It's an everyman tale. It, it's the ultimate underdog story. It's by far my favorite sports movie ever. So, I mean, this movie tops a lot of my list. It don't top this seventies list, but it, yeah. Well, Um, it's, it was uh, my first one out actually. I'm looking at my list. It was number 11, but you're, you're watching the original Rocky for the story. It's, it's got the best story of all of them. You know, you watch Rocky two, three, four, you go there for the fighting sequences and just the, the hype around those where this is his story. This is the, the drama, the, you know, the whole, how he got to where he was in those, you know, later movies right? and fighting and fighting those other people that were larger than life, uh, at the time. But yeah, the emotional attachment you have in, in the rest of the movies is formed with the first movie. That's right. Uh, Yeah, exactly. That's why you're rooting for him with where he come from. That's right. I mean, it could be, Floyd Mayweather Jr. going to Russia to fight somebody, eh, you know, you don't know his history as far as he didn't come from the streets like Rocky. You're you're just rooting for this guy, and that's where it that's all right. started was with the first one. I agree with that. Um, 
Number one for me is Star Wars. Uh, 1977. It's, I believe, one of the first ones I saw on VHS. It was at a birthday party, and I remember my parents renting the VCR and, and renting Star Wars. So it's probably around that era of it. Had, it was past even when Return of the Jedi came out. So probably like 84, 85. When mm-hmm. did when did Jedi come out? 83, 83. I think. Yeah. So. I had not watched any of the other Star Wars movies until that point. And then I watched that one many times. I remember renting it many times when we did rent the VCR. And then uh, even the Empire Strikes Back, I remember being at a friend's house and watching that on a VHS tape. So, yeah, I, I missed seeing those in the theaters. And when they, I made it a point when they came back around to the theater with the special edition, which you can, we could do a whole podcast and debate that, but I made sure to go out and, and seek out and watch those in the theater. I ended up seeing the first two star Wars and empire strikes back in the theater then. But, um, yeah, it's just, uh, it was so impactful and just that space saga. I, I, and it's weird because, you know, probably at the time, star Trek, uh, you had the that series was out, and then Star Wars came out, and then you start getting Star Trek and Star Wars movies in there. But it's always been about Star Wars for me, and I've never yeah. really gotten into the Star Trek world. But it it just opened up that idea of space travel and and the space saga, you know, that would be going forward. And then you know, when Spaceballs came out, that was it for <laughs> me, man. That was like. I put that above Star Wars. No. <laughs> well, I mean, there's some people who do. Yeah, I know. But you know, it's um, interesting that that would have been 1985, you guess, when mm-hmm. you granted that. So your parents chose a movie that was already eight years old for that. Well, That's I think it. it must have been me requesting it or something, or me at the the rental store and choosing. Here, you choose a movie. Because that, I don't think they would have chosen that for me at the time of what was available. You know, I had to have had some uh, say into what you know movie to rent for my my party. So, and you know, um, we've got a few younger listeners who may not realize there was a point in time when being able to watch a movie at home was a mega deal. Yeah, I mean, because they they may be listening to this going. You rented the movie for your birthday, big whoop. No, you, these people don't understand that you right. didn't get to watch movies at home. You had to yeah. go to a theater to watch a movie. And now the VCR technology, like you said, you didn't just go rent a, a VCR tape. You started out renting a VCR with it. Right. And this was a big deal. You know, for kids today, renting a VCR and watching a movie at home for your birthday would be the equivalent of having like that Millennium Falcon, uh, blow up thing set in your driveway it was a big deal yeah yeah i mean and we never it wasn't like we'd go on the weekends and always rent the v i mean i don't know how much it cost back then but it wasn't cheap so it was always when i had like a birthday party or when we having people over we would we would rent uh the whole machine and and the movie to watch because even back then yeah occasionally you get to watch movies on tv and they were even TV, you know, made for TV movies, you'd watch, you know, when, uh, what was it? The Wonderful World of Disney would come on and mm-hmm. you'd get a movie each week. But Saturday mornings was the time for us. And 
to relive movies that you saw in the theater, you know, there was records and whatever that they would put out like star Wars. The album is basically the story of star Wars with the voice actors and everything. You had to listen to it and use your imagination. You couldn't watch it. And so, and with the storybooks, you know, we talk about, um, you had a stack of them Mm -hmm. and I had some that was the read along storybooks and records that was your movie and and viewmasters you know the viewmaster discs well, you had to wa- <laughs> click your way through the movie you know you didn't have access to everything we have access to nowadays so yeah it was a big deal man it if was a big deal younger listeners you know don't think bad of us for talking up how big some of this stuff is cuz you just don't know <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you right. just don't know that's right all right you want to talk some more smoky Yes, number one, Smokey <laughs> and the Bandit. I don't even know what to say. This actually tops my overall flick chart. This is my favorite movie of all time, Smokey is and the it? Bandit. Okay. Yeah. Just from everything involved. I grew up, my dad traveled. He didn't always drive a tractor and trailer. It's not, it not like he was a truck driver either. He drove for himself. He had his own business and he had big deliveries. He'd take a tractor and trailer because there was a trucking company across the road from us and they worked together on that stuff. So I was always fascinated with CB culture and, and big trucks and being proud of being from the South and loving Southern culture like Mountain Dew and NASCAR and car chases and just fast cars and good looking women. Cause you know, now that you're down here in the South, the South has the best looking women in the world. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> this movie encompasses every, every bit of that yep. and they're bootlegging. You know, if you're down here in the South and in the Appalachians, it's, yeah, there's all kinds of ways you kind of skirt the fringes of the law. That's what these guys are doing. And, you know, beer is legal, but not this beer. They're just bringing this beer over here because it's legal. You right. know, that's, but bringing cores east of the Mississippi is bootlegging or east of Texas. <laughs> so, and, and just the perfect cast. Like you said, Jackie Gleason. Oh, yeah. Uh, who was not forgotten at that point, but this was his renaissance. It was. That's right. You got Burt Reynolds, who was probably the preeminent movie star of the time of that era. You know, he was the the rock of that generation. Yeah. Sally Field at the perfect age. And, you know, she's in all her beauty and she's always been a lovely lady, but especially then. And then the casting decision to put Jerry Reed, a country music. I ain't going to call him a country music star. He was a country music half star. You know, he was one of the mid-level guys at the uh-huh. time. This rocketed him to superstardom. The The soundtrack that Jerry Reed put oh, together yeah. for it just fits it perfect. Hal Needham, the director, uh, trying all this stuff. And like, I've watched the documentary on the making of this and how Hal Needham done all this. And a lot of it was just off the cuff. <laughs> yeah. And to churn out such a perfect movie. it When I say perfect, to me, it's perfect. It embodies everything I love about life. And it's done so well, and it's funny. And I quote Jackie Gleason from this movie <laughs> constantly. I don't know how many times I have said, the first thing I'm going to do when I get home is punch your mama right in the mouth. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've said that. And some bitch, you know. Yeah. The Rock, speaking of The Rock, made that a catchphrase in wrestling, some bitch. That was Jackie Gleason, folks. Yes. Uh, can That's we still watch the game, Daddy? Or can we get some hush puppies, daddy? We ain't got time for that shit. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I think I need to do? 
on Patreon this week. And that, that'll be the video of the week. I'm going to post myself and JJ from our air table video from well over a year ago where we recreated the Diablo sandwich from Smokey and the Bandit. Oh, tried wow. It. Nice. It took some research to find out exactly what a Diablo sandwich was, <laughs> but it was called something different on the menu at the actual restaurant where they filmed that scene. But it's, it's basically a hot sauce, uh, like shredded chicken barbecue sandwich thing, but we make it. Well, I don't make it in the video. I tell you how to make it in the video and we review it and we quote the movie. <laughs> I'm going to spoil it for people. She was going to be the snowman. She thought I said a snowman. <laughs> so <laughs> we're doing Smokey and the Bandit. And she's wearing a white shirt, a black hat, and painted her nose orange like a snowman. <laughs> so <laughs> people need to head over to Patreon this week and watch the <laughs> review. <laughs> And I asked her in the movie, oh. in the video, I said, what are you wearing? She says, you said dress like a snowman. I said, dress like the snowman, not a snowman. And she tells me that a couple times, but I'm a snowman. Like, yeah, I know you're a snowman. Yeah, never mind. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. I'll put that up oh, this week. Yeah. Patrons. That'll be the video of the week on Wednesday or Thursday. I want to see that. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our list. I just looked. Um, Star Wars is my number two overall. Ghostbusters is number one on my mm. flick chart. Uh, just real quick, let's go through our 11 through 20 here. So I had Rocky 11. A Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. <laughs> I don't know how that came up so many times. That's my number 12. Uh, Blazing Saddles. Uh, the Muppet Movie. Rocky Horror Picture Show. The Enforcer. Oh, gosh. Oh. Dad Dad loved Dirty Harry. So I got into those early for some reason. Uh, Young Frankenstein. Dirty Harry is 18. Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, 19. And Benji, number 20. Hmm. <laughs> What's your Conquest. Two, 20? Well, yeah. first off, Conquest, Planet of the Apes. Uh, why not any of the other ones? I guess... I guess they up. have not come up. Beneath is the second one. I think that was 70s. I'm, I, I think. But yeah, I enjoy the second one almost as much as I do the first one. Um, I actually, yeah, I'm the same way. They're they're 1A and 1B in my book on mm -hmm. Planet of the Apes movies. So uh, for me, my number 11 was Bad News Bears. Uh, the, which I liked it better than the the uh, the newer one that came out. Then the original Apple Dumpling Gang, uh, my all-time favorite horror movie, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm -hmm. uh, then Earthquake and Jaws that you had on your list. And the Disney animated Robin Hood came in after that. Mm. And then I got a couple of Clint Eastwood movies, Every Which Way But Loose, Escape from Alcatraz, Outlaw Josie Wales, and then the bad news bears and breaking training. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. The, top, my, the five most egregious unseen ones that it tells me that I have not watched. And this first one will surprise people would be alien. Uh, one floor, really? Monty Python and the Holy grail, a clockwork orange and Chinatown. 
are the five okay, so top rated unseen. I've got some of those in my top five. Number one for me is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Two is Taxi Driver. Never seen Taxi Driver. Uh, three, Clockwork Orange. Four, Chinatown. And five, The Conversation. Gene Hackman. And top movies that have not come up for me to even rank, and I have seen them, I just don't know where they'd rank on my list, would be Taxi Driver, Apocalypse Now, and The Sting. The Sting would probably be in my top ten. Probably near the very bottom, but it would be in the top ten. Uh, trying to see if there's one. Yeah. Uh, and those for me are, are basically about the same, except number five is The Network. Or, I'm, I'm sorry, Just Network. Mm-hmm. Done away. Network and Chinatown are both on my short list of movies that I still really want to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a few down here. Yeah, The Sting I have not seen. All the President's Men have not seen that one. The Deer Hunter. Have you seen Ocean's Eleven? I mean, even the modern one. Yes. Did you like it? That whole concept of they're going to screw this guy out of yeah. the money. Yeah, it was, it was the Sting enjoyable. Is, the Sting is an equivalent of that where Robert Redford and Paul Newman put this plan together to separate this guy from his money. It's a really good movie. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, I did not see any feedback as far as uh, I threw out there that we were doing the top 10 from the seventies this week. So if you've got some in there or something that you uh, heard that that triggered uh, (laughs) a comment back, please do so this week. And uh, this was fun, man, going through our, 70s list. I'm not sure we can go back any farther for me. Uh, there might be a few from the 60s. Speaking of Planet of the Apes, that would be high uh, on my list. Uh, we'll have to see if, if we can go any farther back. I haven't gone back too far as far as movie watching goes. Well, I don't know that we could do an episode of it, but uh, maybe we could do some mini episode sometime. There's some movies from the 60s I really like. When I mm-hmm. mentioned like an old World War II movies and stuff. There's yeah. some really good ones from that era. There's some really good westerns that I like from back then, but I don't know okay. about to do a whole flick chart. But yeah, there's yeah. some good movies in the '60s. Maybe we'll put together a little mini episode or something. Maybe that'll be a over on Patreon or something we can do. Uh, but anyway, we appreciate you guys listening. Bye.